Amen and amen. If you'll open your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36. Ezekiel 36 is where we have landed in God's Word. We're not quite there yet in our reading plan. So if you're reading along and you realize, like, I, I'm not quite to Ezekiel 36 yet, don't fear. You should be uh, around chapter 22 this morning if you're reading along with us there. But nonetheless, I wanted to jump ahead here this morning to Ezekiel chapter 36, where we have a tremendous look at God's uh, providential purposing and uh, just molding of all things to his glory, drawing men unto himself. And I've made this sentiment known before, but it bears repeating that God's revelation of himself is one of the most underappreciated truths in our lives. That man is sinful to our core, having rebelled against God, and yet in his grace, he has made himself known. He's made himself known to us, and he's made himself known in such a way as we can understand, and we can read, and we can see. So he has made himself known in his word, and he has given revelation of himself that we might know him more completely and return to him in complete repentance. Now, the question that hangs in the balance for all of us is what will we do with God's revelation of himself? The issue at hand throughout all of the prophet Ezekiel's ministry is that the people of God have not been changed, shaped, or governed, or moved by God's revelation and grace. And so Ezekiel is tasked with preaching to the people a consistent theme of judgment and seeming doom upon the people because of their repeated ignoring of God's revelation through his law and his word. Until we get to chapter 36. Really, beginning in chapter 33 is where we build up to this proclamation of hope. So I'll ask you to stand once more in honor of the reading of God's word as we look here at Ezekiel chapter 36, starting in verse 22. Verses 22 through 28 will be our text for this morning. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations, to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes." I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules." You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. This is the word of God. 
Let's pray, church. God, as we come before you this morning eager to be shaped by your word, eager to live according to your word, God, I pray that you would empower us through your indwelling Holy Spirit to give us the necessary strength, endurance, faithfulness to walk in accordance with your word. God, I pray that there's anyone here this morning that still bears a heart of stone that comes with living amongst the lost. I pray that you would draw them to yourself this morning and give them a heart of flesh. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we read here in Ezekiel and throughout this uh, prophetic ministry that God has given him, one thing that we see and it becomes clear, oftentimes God has to break us of our false hopes and our misplaced love in order to get us to see that a life which has been made new finds hope only in him. Again, sometimes God has to break us of those things in which we are seeking to find hope or placing our love in and seeking to find joy. He has to break us of those things so that we can realize that true hope, true joy, true love is only found in Him. So what has happened to this point in Ezekiel's ministry and message? Well, he's faithfully preached of God's coming judgment on the people. So, in other words, God has consistently said that he will make himself known in the life of his people and in the life of the nations. That they're going to see who he is through his judgment on his people. That they have disobeyed and consistently rebelled against his word, intentionally so. And that he will be made known through his judgment on them. And, I mean, in, in reading through Ezekiel, it's hard not to feel the immense weight of justice owed against those who have transgressed God. However, sprinkled through these messages of impending judgment and doom are these little glimmers of hope. So now that Jerusalem has been destroyed, that's where we find ourselves beginning in chapter 33 is on the other side of Jerusalem being destroyed. So the judgment has been executed. People are going into exile. Now that Jerusalem has been destroyed, Ezekiel's message shifts from impending doom and only maybe glimmers of hope to abounding hope through a renewed life. And that's a consistent theme here, is that something has to change within. So, as we break down the first few verses this morning, here's how I've approached my exposition of the text for us this morning. I want us to, to see the, the overarching point, and then I want to present us with a question. The purpose of the question is to challenge us to a greater introspection and application of what God is revealing through Ezekiel and how he has called his church to live in light of this same truth. So looking back to our first verse for our text this morning, verse 22, we read this. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, 
It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. So we start off with that great word of biblical interpretation that we always need to do something when we see it. And that is, therefore. And as we always remind ourselves, when we see that word, we need to go back and see what it's there for. Very good. So when we go back, we see God is talking about his concern for his name. He's reiterating that they have profaned his name among the nations, which is the exact opposite of what their intention was to be as his covenant people. That as his covenant people as who received his law, they were to make his name known in a glorifying way among the nations. So as they walked in accordance with his word and they walked in communion with him and they went to the tabernacle and then later on to the temple, the purpose of all of this was to set them apart from the surrounding pagan nations so that as they went about living their lives in accordance with God's word, then all of these people would see their abundance of great wealth and God's blessing on them and that they would realize God's goodness and come to know him as Lord. Well, now the Lord has said, you've transgressed, you've profaned my name among the nations. Therefore, this is what I want you to say, Ezekiel. Say this to the house of Israel. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act. So we, he's already acted in judgment because Jerusalem is destroyed. And the people are going into exile. And so he's about to act in a new way, a different way. But he wants them to know that he is not acting because of something they've done. And he's made this known from the beginning. From their inception as a people. And we'll get to that here in a little bit. But if we are to read the Bible with any amount of true attention... That is just like with our brains turned on, right? We must submit to the undeniable reality that is, it is in fact God's revelation of himself. And this is in fact also the only source of authority for the Bible. That it is God's words and not merely that of moral men. God's message here and really throughout the Bible in its entirety is that of properly glorifying his name. That's the concern. Which means that as we look back on redemption history as displayed for us in God's word, we must see that God acts, he moves, and he intervenes in history. And when he does so, it is for the purpose of glorifying his name among creation. And specifically, in the hearts of man. You see, God acts to glorify his name. That is what he sets out to do when he acts. It is for the purpose of glorifying his name. And this is such a hang-up for so many. They see this attribute or this as, they see this as small or selfish. Right? Like God just acts to glorify himself? However, it is not right that, is it not right rather, that he who created all things, who is himself the source and the very existence of matter, is it not right that he would create all things therefore to be to the praise of his glory? 
So the question is, do you want your very existence to be a meaningless repetition of attempted self-glorification? Or do you want your existence to be eternally meaningful by knowing that you are to be to the praise of his glory? From the, again, I, I said this a while ago, and I want to uh, reiterate that and expound upon it a little bit. From the very establishment of Israel as a people, God has been very clear that his actions in the lives of men and in time and space are not motivated by us. He does not act in response to how good we are. He does not act in response to how great we are. He acts in response to glorifying his name. And we see this going all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 9. Deuteronomy chapter 9. It'll be on the screen for you if you want to make a note or you can turn there if you'd like. But Deuteronomy chapter 9 verse 3. Know therefore today, so this is Moses speaking to the people on the plains, that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. So they've seen God go before them. They've seen God lead them out of exile or out of uh, exile to in the wilderness. They've seen God act in many great ways. Know that he who goes over over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you. Talking about the pagan nations that he is getting ready to exact judgment on, right? The same nations which he is now in Ezekiel using to exact judgment on his people. So, so you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. So this is what the Lord is purposing to do. And in verse 4 of Deuteronomy 9. Do not say in your heart... After the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in possession of this land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. So Moses wants the people to clearly understand. Like, don't wait until the Lord drives these wicked pagan nations out from before you and then say that you have done something so righteous that is, that is the reason that the Lord has blessed you in this way. That is the reason the Lord has given you victory. That is the reason the Lord has protected you. Don't say that in your heart, Moses says. That is, it's because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Verse 5, not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land. But because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you and that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So he wants it clear that the Lord is acting in covenant faithfulness to the covenant that he has made with your fathers. And he is doing so not because of your righteousness, but because of his sense of justice and his desire to glorify his name through you and in your midst. And so from the very beginning, this has been what God was about and how he was acting and moving through his people to glorify his name. And Moses wants the people to clearly understand this as they prepare to enter the promised land. What is to always be before us is that God is not motivated by our righteousness as if we were such, but rather the glory of his name. Let that ever be before you, church.
that God is not motivated by any sense of righteousness you might have about yourself, but that he is motivated by the glory of his name. Therefore, that is to be our chief goal. Not, can I make this life as easy as possible by making my best attempt to be good before God? This, this type of thinking is so toxic. There are far too many self-proclaimed Christians out there that think this way and don't see anything wrong with it. They make it their chief goal to be as good as possible. Therefore, their prayer life is centered around a long list of selfish self-gratification rather than God be glorified in me. We need to be constantly asking ourselves, is my chief goal to glorify his name? This is the mirror which God's word forces us to look in and like, look, am I making my chief goal the very thing that he has revealed as his chief purpose? Like, am I forming myself into that? Am I allowing myself to be formed into making my chief goal and my chief purpose in life to glorify his name or am I pursuing something else? When we read the Bible as God's authoritative self-revelation, it's hard to be motivated by what pleases us. Rather, our hearts are realigned to be motivated by what glorifies him. If only we would be moved what, by what motivates God. That's the idea here. That, that's the idea that Moses wanted to get across on the plains of Moab. That's what Ezekiel wants to get across here. That's what the Lord wants to get across through Ezekiel, rather. That it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. So, as we continue reading, pick back up in verse 23, we begin to get an idea of what the Lord is preparing to do. He said, I'm getting ready to act. Well, we know he's already acted in judgment because Jerusalem's destroyed. So, how is he getting ready to act on the other side of that, verse 23, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. What is the first thing that Jesus prompts his followers to pray when he gives them the model prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. When he gives the Lord prayer, what's the first thing that he prompts his followers to pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The idea there is not to simply say that God's name is holy, not just to say it, right? But that it would truly reign as holy in our heart, in the heart of the one who is saying the prayer. That is to say, our Father in heaven, your name be made holy. Of course, the focus of God's action here is what? Despite his own people not vindicating his name as holy, he will. The people were, had explicit instruction on how to go about vindicating his name, how to go about making his name holy. And because they have not done it, he will do it. 
Church, we need to know this, that God's purpose is not dependent upon our obedience. He is not shackled by whether or not we obey his word. His name will be glorified. Can God accomplish what he has set out to do without yours or my obedient submission? I certainly hope you believe so. And he will. Does he accomplish his own will outside of our cooperation? Absolutely. So let us marvel at and be humbled by his grace to invite us to join him in his purpose. The other reality which is clarified here is the dichotomy of, of living. That there's, there's no middle ground. Either we are obediently glorifying his name as a living sacrifice of worship, or we are profaning his name. That's what God sets out before. That's like, like look, look, you were to be this, you disobeyed, therefore you are, you have profaned my name. So let us constantly ask ourselves, am I walking in obedience or am I profaning his name? Am I walking in obedience or am I profaning his name? Now, there are three subjects at work here. There's three subjects so far at work in what God has laid out before the people. He's revealed his ultimate purpose. He's getting ready to reveal his ultimate purpose in this text. And we've seen Israel. We know that they are one of the subjects of focus whose name God will be glorified in and through in spite of their disobedience. We've seen the Lord, obviously. He's the main subject whose name is going to be glorified. But there's another subject in clear focus in these verses so far. That the Lord has been purposing to make himself known to this whole time. So who's the third subject? The nations. God's purpose of glorifying his name is not that it would just be glorified out into the ether. He does not act to glorify his name so that just, just mountains know how glorious he is. He doesn't glorify his name just so that it's out there. But that it would be glorified where? In the hearts of of men, in the hearts of every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. Oh my goodness, what a grace that is. So that question I asked, well, does God act even though if we are disobedient? Rather, what, how did I put it? I said, um, does he accomplish his will outside of our cooperation? Does, can he accomplish what he is out to do without my submission? Well, we need look no further than the gospel to see that he does so because we had no interest in God, yet he acted for his purposes that his name would be glorified in our hearts. When God's name is glorified, it's to the increase of his grace. What's, what this text shows us is that God's greater and ever-increasing glory and praise to his name is not itself a purely selfish motive, although he has every right for it to be selfish in this. But God is making it abundantly clear here that the purpose of glorifying his name is that his glory and grace might be made known in the hearts and the lives of the nations. 
Well, what happens at that point? He gets greater glory as more come to know him as God and worship him as Lord. And then guess what? The obligation of those people becomes what? To glorify his name among the nations. So what happens? Even more come to know him and he gets greater glory. This is what we see laid out by Paul to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 4. He says this, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so also we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Verse 15, For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Like this is what God is purposing to do here. is for his name to be glorified in the hearts of more and more people. So that as he draws more and more people to himself and he forms for himself a people of every tribe, tongue, language, and nation, he continues to receive the greater glory as more and more people come to salvation in him. And this is what he has purposed for us to do as his church. That's what's being laid out here. And that becomes abundantly clear as you continue and pick back up in verse 24. I will take you from the nations. So he's talking to, so he's the one who has scattered them to the nations in judgment, right? I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. He's going to bring them back, right? I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. So now, not only is he going to bring them back, but he's, he's performing an act of, of cleansing here. The same language as that of the temple, a ritual cleansing. But he's the one that's doing it. And I will give you a new heart, verse 26, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So real quick here, we need to kind of, educate ourselves on some of the difference between the ideology and the differences between Hebrew thinking and, and, and Greek thinking because we see this word flesh throughout the, the New Testament is constantly used as uh, derogatory toward our sinful self, right? The flesh. And so here you might be thinking like, why is the Lord saying, I'm going to give you a heart, take a heart of stone, give a heart of flesh. It's a different mindset here. The flesh is, is, is symbolizing a, a new uh, heart here that is made and sprinkled clean by God. So it's not in the Greek mindset of a negative, like a, a sinful flesh, but it's in the sense of making something new. And that's the idea. That's what God is getting at here. As God reveals himself throughout his word, he gives us a continually deepening understanding of his attributes. He reveals more and more of himself the more we read his word. He helps us to understand who he is, how he's acted in history and how he's acting now. And this gives us an even deepening understanding of his actions throughout history. And as we grow in understanding... He continually reveals to us his purpose to redeem for himself a people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language who will hallow his name. And he is the one who must gather us. Did you see that? Like, he's the one that's doing the gathering of his people here. 
He is the only one who could sprinkle us clean. He is the only one who could give us a new heart. God's faithful actions reveal his redemptive purpose. Here he's talking about his immediate redeeming and preservation of a remnant. He's preserving for himself in, within the, the people of Israel a remnant for his own purposes. In Christ, we come to see how he continues this gracious action for his church. That he gives us new hearts. Hearts that desire holiness rather than indulgent sinfulness. To redeem us for his good purposes. But as we saw right there in verse 26, he puts a new spirit within us as well. But not just any spirit. Not like he just gives us a, a new spirit that was our own spirit. But, but what does that mean? He, well, he em continues and he uh, embellishes on that in verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. So he gives us his own Holy Spirit to dwell within us, strengthening us, sanctifying us, enabling us to keep his word, he says. I'll give you a new heart, new flesh, new spirit. I'll put my spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statutes. So when he puts his spirit in us, it gives us this new ability that we did not have before. In Christ, we come to know this message as the gospel. That the Holy Spirit empowers believers to bear witness to the glory of Christ in the gospel. And we see Jesus say this in John chapter 14. First he says to his followers, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. We see this also in Acts 1.8. In Luke's version of the Great Commission, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, what are we witnessing to through the power of the Holy Spirit? God's glory and grace in the gospel. We continue to see this. Again, we read this verse just a while ago. 2 Corinthians 4. We have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written. I believe and so I spoke. So as the spirit at work within us there, we also believe and so also we speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. And bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people. It may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. When the people of God live through the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us to sanctify us, to strengthen us, to give us endurance. It is to the praise of his glory and the extension of his grace. Oh, that we would be a church who lives in the truth that we have been redeemed by God through Christ and empowered by his Holy Spirit to glorify his name on earth as it is in heaven.